It is easy for worship leaders to feel alone. There is tremendous pressure on us each week to perform, to lead, and to help direct an amazing experience of worship and connection to God. But it's so overwhelming. There's no place to go to talk through these unique challenges worship leaders face. Welcome to the table. Hey, you guys, it's Jason Squires. Welcome to the table. Um, last week, we sat down with our mentors and had a conversation about team time outside of Sunday morning. And whenever you get these guys together, they're some of the most amazing people to work with. Um, there's so much great content. We actually had a hard time fitting it into one episode. And so as we were editing the podcast to go to send out to you guys, we realized, let's break this into two weeks because this is just so much great information to share. Um, we sat down and talked about what it takes to uh, educate your team and have community simultaneously and what that could look like. And so join us as we continue last week's conversation um, and welcome to the table. How do we combine this idea of community and helping to educate others? So like if you can kind of bring those two things together uh, where you, there's a way to like, there's a way to teach, there's a way to have community, there's a way to do other things with community. Um, what are you guys, what, what are your guys, some of your thoughts on that? Especially because, uh, I mean, if, unless you went to formal school training on some of these things, um, I think it's, a, it's, a, it's sitting around a table and dialoguing about stuff and you know, working on whatever and doing it outside of that rehearsal time can actually help build that camaraderie. So in your guys' experience, what are some ways that you, you've done that? Yeah, I think every one of us on this panel really values uh, conference ministries. Each one of us go to conferences and teach. Uh, but it's also, I also love I've taking people from my church to a conference, whether I'm teaching or not. There's just something about, hey, everyone's getting in a van and let's let's head off. Let's go to this place. And I always tell our teams, it's like, you know what? I want you to go. And we're going to talk after, and I'm okay if you disagree with what's presented, right? It's not always about having to agree. It's like, but tell me why you disagree. What did you hear? What did you see? Uh, gosh, it's so, just something about the road trip. I, I even find this with my kids. I, I love just getting in the car and driving sometimes because, especially my daughters, uh, you know, all of a sudden, dad, you know what? They just talk, 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 share their heart. And I love it. I love it. I love it. And I find that even with worship teams, like sometimes you just got to get out of your normal routine and go do something different. And then it encapsulates the sharing meals. Um, it's just fun road trip rules. So uh, yep. I just would encourage anyone listening to consider going back to physical conferences. If there's something in your region and you can take a couple team members, it's just good. It's good for relationship. It's good to expand your knowledge base and, and grow. Uh, it's just good. It's all kinds of good. Yeah. I think too, if you don't like say, you know, if people don't have like a, a great budget to do conferences and stuff like that too. Um, if you're a smaller church or a smaller, you know, church community. And I think that is one road trips are, are definitely team building. I mean, they, 
they absolutely instantly have a way of opening up. But there's some things that we're doing where we're doing some vocal workshops. Say you have a guitar player that teaches, you know, get him to do a workshop for some of the other guitar players. Reach out to other worship leaders and pastors in your community and say, hey, could you come one night? I want to create like a little mini conference, you know, for my team and I and try to get another place like maybe somebody's house that's a little bigger that's offered to host something. So you get out of you know, being in the norm place, make, if you're going to do a workshop, like I'm going to have some food out and some, and there'll be a half an hour built in for talking. And then we actually do some teaching. And when you get to sit and hang out, it makes the teaching so much more, I think, enjoyable and conversational. Um, And I'd say too, if you're going to do a workshop for your, your people, one, make sure that you've done your research and that you're knowledgeable in what you're going to be talking and sharing about. And it does help if you are driving that vision, like this is the reason why is because we want to see our church, you know, really experience and grow in freedom of expression. So we want to start right here. You know, what are some of your experiences with freedom of expression? And we start talking about that. What has God done in your heart with that? And so I think workshops, you know, reaching out to people in your community. So it's not expensive, like tell this church, you'll come over and do, if you are a writer, you'll go over and do a writing workshop for them one day and their team. And then, Hey, would you come over and do a guitar workshop for my team, you know, and my guitar players and students. And so I think just creating opportunities to train aside from, and staying focused that making sure that when you are in practices that you do take the time to instruct, like, will my husband is such a great, he's such a knowledgeable um, player, like he's really good at what his, he does in his instrument. And I watch him stop what he's doing. And he lets us talk amongst ourselves and he'll go over with that person and sit with them. And, and then, and just kind of explain like, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And it really is um, a, a beautiful thing that happens. Just making sure that you're, you're keeping training as you're, building the, you know, as you're, you're, you're building the plane as you're flying it too. So always keep those moments. And and I will tell you this, I think it's so important that you set the expectation with your team that, Hey, I'm going to be teachable and we all have to be teachable. Mm. So setting a teachable expectation, I would say it's one of the most important things after praying together, sharing me saying, Hey, the expectant, I am expectant that we're all going to be teachable here together. We're all going to grow. And guess what it does? It makes people be like, wait a minute. Oh, wait, am I being teachable? And I've watched it change some people's hearts to say, hey, we look at each other's eyes. Are we going to be teachable together? Yes, we are. And so actually setting the expectation for being teachable is paramount if you're going to train and teach. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. I've come, up, I've come up with a little way of trying to explain that to a team. When I'm heading into what I call a rehearsal workshop and I'm trying to say, hey, I am here as a consultant, I am here to teach and uh, uh, I'm going to be leaning into your singing or your playing perhaps more than you're ever used to. And, I, and this part of this is to try and get a laugh, I guess, but I sort of say, hey, if, if you're holding your newborn baby in your arms, and I leaned in and looked at your baby and said, your baby is really ugly. It needs a different face. That would be offensive. 
And I should never say that. I would never say that, even if I thought your baby was ugly. (laughs) (laughs) So, So I would say, you know, like while we're coaching here, if I lean in and make a comment about your singing or your playing, don't think he's telling me my baby's ugly. I try to affirm that I believe that each person in this band that I'm about to give a rehearsal workshop to, I'm going to be coaching them, that they are all children of God, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made and Jesus died for them and their, their lives and who they are is of infinite worth. I am not talking to you about who you are. I'm talking about something that's very separate from you. You're singing, you are playing. This is tougher for singers, by the way. They feel like their singing is who they are more easily than maybe a drummer does. But I would say, hey, look, instead of that, let's imagine that we are all here and we're off-road truck enthusiasts and we're going to build an off-road truck together. And each of us have brought components for the truck. And I'm an expert truck builder. I've built more trucks than you have. So when I make a comment about your bass playing or your singing or drumming, imagine it more like this. It's like, okay, I see the tires you're bringing, but do you have any others? Let's see what else you got. Yes, these ones with bigger tread, they're going to work better. And no, we don't need fluffy dice. The engine needs a bit of a tune. And we're all excited to build the best truck we can. We get to test drive it tonight at our workshop, and then we'll try and take the congregation for a drive in it to the mountaintop to connect with God on Sunday. And if we can have that vibe, no one should feel worried when I make a comment about their playing or their singing. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes people still can't get that. I had, a, I had a bass player walk out of a rehearsal workshop just last Thursday night. And I never, ever want that to happen. But he thought I was saying his baby was ugly, you know, and he thought his baby was beautiful for 25 years. You know what I mean? That's crazy. And I I don't like that. I don't want that to happen. But I actually believe it's part of my job to be okay with that. Yeah. And I'm pleased to say that, you know, I I spent a lot of time with that bass player away from the band after that and the relationship is good. Um. But he still thinks his baby's beautiful. I'm not trying to change him anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But uh, but because but he stepped away from the workshop situation, so it's not my job to teach him anymore. But that that happens. So turning what to, to try and respond to your question, Jason, the the actual rehearsal to me is a wonderful chance to teach people. If we have this agreed measurable goal that we want our congregation to sing together, um, I'm always referring to that goal as I coach different players. Um, a story from just last Thursday night, there was a, there was a, a church that I was coaching up and I had my phone calls with the key people, the pastor, the music leader, the drummer, a few people. And I found out that there's a brother and sister who play piano in our band. They didn't say keyboard. They said piano. One is a, a really incredible jazz pianist. And the other one is a really incredible classical pianist. And they say, look, they're the most talented, most capable, best trained musicians in our team but they both overplay terribly and oh. we've tried to talk to them about it and we we just we we don't we don't know what to do we don't know what to do with them and um so i had that little bit of information going in and sure enough i mean they're lovely sweet people um the brother and sister they never play on the team at the same time they they either rostered one or the other and no one had ever said to them that the musical goal is to get the congregation singing they thought they were there to play. Yep. And then I moved from there to say, hey, there's a difference between being a piano player and a keyboardist. I'm going to explain it to you. A piano is an amazing instrument. And you guys, with your skill sets and your training, you know this. You can play everything on this instrument. You can play the bass. You can play the chords. You can play the melody. You can play all high ostinatos. And you're all over it. You can control 
everything from the piano. It works great as a solo instrument or to accompany an individual like a, a solo singer or an instrument. But now we're asking you to be a keyboard player in a band. It's a different mindset. Can I show you what I mean? Yeah, you can. All right, well, we've got, a, we've got a guitar there strumming the chord and it's a guitar-driven song. So it cannot be piano-driven and guitar-driven at the same time. We've got a drummer telling us where the rhythm is. We've got a bass player holding down the bass notes. So a keyboard player is someone who now is in front of this electronic piano and realises there's different sound choices, there's different timbres, there's different things I can do here. And I, in my clunky, hardly a keyboard player way, I showed them a few ideas like bless the just this little ostinato rather than playing every note all the time leaving space for the acoustic guitar and the bass and the drums wow and their eyes start to get wider and i whispered to them you know you've got a skill set that this team really desperately needs no one's got the training you've got this is great but we need you to listen and compliment what's around you so the congregation can sing. And they feel loved, they feel respected, they feel like it's good, and now they're taking pride in playing way, way less and leaving space. But no one had told them the goal and, and told them the difference. And words are powerful. The different, the, the different word between pianist and keyboardist and explaining what you mean makes all the difference to someone like that. You know, and I've even yep. similar conversations with formally trained, classically trained, especially older lady piano players, and they've just they've actually shed a little tear of joy. Somebody gets me. I'm not, and but they come out the other end going, I'm not going to fight against this band anymore. I'm going to compliment this band. Yep. And um, because that tug of war that I hear musically is a symptom of the tug of war that's happening in people's hearts. You know, and uh, no one no one gave them the direction. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I think that happens a lot too with like um especially string players. There mm-hmm. was this sweet older woman I did a revival with um several weeks ago and she was so sweet. She was classically trained. So she's used to playing violin and not with a band. <laughs> yeah. Well, here in Texas, yes. When we go out and we do our wine bar shows, it's fiddle. fiddle. But in, in church, we still kind of call it violin a little bit there. But yes. And so I was just trying to explain to her when you play um the lead line that the person's singing and leading, they kind of, you know, they kind of rub up against each other. But could you just make a little space under that? And then when the singer is done create a beautiful melody in between, you know, and creates, and she was like, Oh, nobody's ever told me that. (laughs) And it was just, her heart was not in the wrong place. You know, I mean, you could have looked at it. Everybody on this platform was overplaying. And so I was like, Hey, we're, we're going to have to learn how to create some space. And so you do need to, you need to actually have some suggestions ready. You know, if you're going to tell somebody to create space and like you're saying, Grant, like you need to explain, like, can you do some, you know, hold out one or two notes under there that fit in the chord, you know, and just let the singers carry the melody so they can get the church singing. So we're not distracting anything. And she did. And she did a beautiful job. I was very proud of her. I mean, this woman was in her 70s. It was really sweet. That's amazing. And she totally was like, I learned something new. 
Yeah, you know, yeah, absolutely right. And most of the tensions that I think happen in humanity, <laughs> and, and within that, in our music teams, our singers, instrumentalists, and technicians, they they are struggles over what and how problems, what to play, how to play it, what to sing, how to mix it, those sort of questions. But I've actually found that almost all of those what and how problems to solve themselves, and the those that don't solve themselves become easier to solve if if you have agreement on the why. What mm-hmm. is the goal and why is that goal important? And that's way better at building church unity, I think, rather than carving out time to have an even extra extra Bible study together when everyone's busy or have another meal together when everyone's busy. Just know what the goal is. Agree on mm-hmm. why achieving that goal is important. Then, you know, having a violin playing the melody that's slightly in, interpreted slightly differently <laughs> to how the singer is, is going to make it harder for us to sing. Yeah, right. We don't have to say, I don't like the violin part there. We can say it's going to make it harder for people to sing. But in this gap in the melody, creating a little moment, lifts people, oh, it gets them ready for the next line for, for, mm-hmm. they, for them to sing. Yeah. And do throw people bones, though, too, when you know, like, it's in them and they've agreed, you know, and say, hey, why don't you, in this one section, why don't you create something and why don't you play, you know, oh, like sometimes yeah. I do that. I throw some people a bone because, you know, like, or we'll do a song that's su- like for our vocalists that can really like not sing. We say sang like they can really sing. Yeah. <laughs> give them a song on Sunday. Say, Hey, why don't you open up the service with this, you know, with this song that's like, yes, it's a worship song, but it's got a little bit more to it vocally and yeah, throw people bones too. Be kind. You know, if they have a talent and a gift, I have I have this heart of yes, worship is about the church singing and worshiping, but there can be moments for fun and for enjoyment and creativity and expressiveness and just create those moments and make them intentional. Don't make every service all about that because that's not what it's all about, but it's okay to throw some creativity in your services once in a while. Oh yeah, and, I'd, and I'd agree. Congregation enjoy it. They will. Yeah, so. yeah. If people have, if people have got a, abilities, you want to give them a chance to to express that ability. And this is why I like to speak about worship in this way. I'd say to worship God is to show the worth of God, to show that God is valuable, and the opportunity yeah. to show the worth of God is in every moment of every day. So we should be showing the worth of God in. Like 24 7, 365, and 366 on a leap year. That's what I get from Romans 12 1 and a lot of other passages beside. You know, offer yourself as a living sacrifice. It doesn't say, you know, worship starts at 10 when someone starts playing a G chord with or without a capo, you know, and there's words on the screen. So then, then I'm free to say, hey, we can perform music as an expression of how worthy God is. And and that's a chance to show what gifting God has give us, given us, or we can lead congregational singing as an expression of worship. And so I don't have to say, uh, you know, hey, if someone's got a great voice or they're an incredible instrumentalist, we're going to say, we're going to make it clear to the congregation they're not invited to sing, but we want to play this music over them, have it flood the atmosphere of our room as an expression of worship. It's still a, a way of showing how worthy God is. We're just not asking people to sing together yet. And that's, and that's the freeing language for me, and I think it helps people too. 